Welcome to the penultimate class. Um, it's one of my favorite words. Anytime <laughs> I get a chance to say it, I'm going to say it. Um, so here, again, hopefully every week y'all have been reading the uh, little kind of review page we put up. Um, again, we're still in part four. We started part four last week. Um, we're going to recap a little bit about what we talked about last week before continuing on today. And uh, we're hoping to wrap, and when I say we, me, Rebecca, and then my dad, Jeff, and um, Phil, so the three of us have sort of been co-teaching. Uh, sometimes people uh, see the Binnies and assume that the Binnies, uh, or see the teachers and assume Binnies means it's, uh, we're married, which is a terrifying, terrifying thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> nope, that's my dad, not my husband. Um, yeah, yeah, um, traumatizing. So we have, for, for the first eight weeks, we've talked about what is poverty? The really short answer, poverty is a broken relationship with God. That can mean material poverty, which is what most people think of when they think of poverty, being poor uh, materially. There's relational poverty. There's interpersonal poverty, which is psychological poverty. Uh, there's a lack of education, uh, social injustice all types of poverty, and they all stem from a broken relationship with God. So in order to solve that poverty, um, you have to fix that relationship with God. Otherwise, it's just a temporary Band-Aid. And um, for example, you educate someone without changing their heart to follow Christ, it's going to lead into some other type of poverty. Um, how to structure poverty alleviation. That was the chart, the three-part. Uh, first, you have relief mode. Relief is very immediate, and that is stuff. Um, and after that begins the recovery and development, uh, recovery and development phases. And the purpose of that is relationships. You cannot fix poverty with stuff. You have to be working with people. Um, you have to have local involvement. You have to have feedback. You have to have their input. Um, and what's important to realize is that there's not those with poverty and those without poverty. We all are in poverty. It's just a matter of uh, taking what God has blessed you with and helping others with it. Whatever resources you have a lot of, whether that be a lot of education, a lot of material wealth, um, uh, a lot of social justice knowledge, sharing that with others and knowing that they are probably more wealthy in other areas that they can help you with. Um, we spent a couple weeks on what the Bible says about poverty and wealth and we looked at a ton of verses in the Old and the New Testament, but if we were to distill it all into one sentence, it would be this down here, which is, I'm a property manager, not the owner of wealth that I have. That's money, that's time, that's knowledge. Um, that is God's property that we have been blessed with. And therefore, to, we need to be good stewards with that, which means using that efficiently and effectively. And finally, we're called to be generous with that because it's not ours. And so this week, we're going to wrap everything up. And then next week, which is our last week, Dad is going to be talking about Chikandi Health, which is the organization in Malawi that he does medical missions with. Um, I, uh, hopefully you all have enjoyed the guest speakers that we've had. Um, we've had all four of these so far. 
So we're wrapping it up with another guest speaker, which just happens to be one of the regular teachers next week. So starting the recap of last week, um, where should I spend my time and my money? You, no one has enough time or enough money in the world to be able to uh, support every single poverty alleviation uh, group that's out there. So the question is, where do I spend my time and my money? Uh, look at what your gifts are, look at what your skills are. Um, another way of saying this is, what are you passionate about? What lights a fire in your belly? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, secondly, where is God opening a door? And finally, with whom do you already have relationships? So this is a new slide. Uh, these are things that we have sort of talked about in theory, but we just wanted to make sure on our last week of sort of substantive information that we were really nailing these and speaking all of them explicitly. Uh, what about short-term missions? Um, we talk about how 10% of your work should probably be relief work. 90% of poverty alleviation work that is done should be recovery and development. So ideally that means 90% of poverty alleviation missions and organizations out there are doing recovery and development work. Uh, as we've talked about in the past, that's not always the case. A lot of times you'll see that people try to solve long-term issues with relief work being stuff. But um, hopefully we all know that that's not a, by week nine we hope we're all on the same page that, that you're not gonna be able to fix long-term issues with stuff. Um, but what about short-term missions? Where does that fit in? Um, obviously we're sitting here, we're not going, not all of us uh, are being called or should be called to do um, you know, overseas missions work somewhere where we're dedicating years of our lives to, you know, helping people. Um, that doesn't mean that we're not, I mean, we should always consider our community to be our mission ground. So there's plenty of recovery and development work you can do right here. But what about those short-term missions? Um, short-term missions being, I'm going uh, to Malawi for two weeks to do medical work or, uh, I mean, think about all the mission work that youth groups do. They do VBSs, um, they will go build houses lots of times. Habitat for Humanity, I would consider a short-term mission. You go, you build a house, you leave. Um, so where do those fit in? Um, if it's all about relationships and that recovery and development mode, you can't build a relationship in a week. So. Um, However, you should still support short-term missions. <laughs> uh, first of all, any type of relief work is going to be a short-term mission, as it should be. Relief work should be a couple of weeks, and relief work is what we do right after a crisis. So Hurricane Katrina cleanup, um, you know, they need water right away. They need housing right away. They need food right away. Um, that all by its own very nature needs to be short-term. After a couple of weeks, that doesn't need to be relief work anymore. So any type of short-term mission trip that is relief work is 
probably going to fall under the umbrella of um, a organization that is helping, not hurting. But for missions that are doing recovery and development work, um, what you should look for when you are asked to support a short-term mission that is doing recovery or development work is look to see, is it part of a long-term mission? And if so, how does it fit into that long-term mission? Uh, ideally, that short-term mission should be supplemental to what the long-term mission is doing. Um, so, uh, for example, with a medical mission, the actual surgery is taking place in that short-term mission, that one to two weeks that the doctors are there. But that's supplemental because there is a long-term hospital that's there that's doing medical work that has that relationship there that is discipling people. Um, secondly, that short-term mission trip should be created to fill a need and not the reverse. Sometimes you'll see with churches that have partner churches in, uh, say for example, um, Honduras, and you have a church that says, hey, we have a youth group that wants to come down, um, what do you need us to do? That's probably not um, going to lead to effective poverty alleviation. Because what has just happened is that they've said, we have workers give us something to do. Instead, the, it needs to be, we have a problem, can you help us? If that makes sense. Um, sometimes you'll see that those churches in Honduras are like, oh, we have a relationship with this church in America. We don't want to mess up that relationship. We need to come up with something for these people to do. Uh, yeah, VBS. Um, and then I mean, you are spending a lot of time and money doing something that is um, not a necessarily a problem that needs to be fixed. Uh, again, just the key is relationships. Um, make sure that there are relationships happening. I feel like on every single slide we'll have this word, but it is that important. Um, and so uh, a special note on youth missions, where the focus is on the student missionaries. A lot of times, uh, uh, either explicitly or just implicitly, you, people, churches love youth group missions because it is great for the students. It is great team building. It helps the students go out and see the world and figure out their place in it. And um, there's a lot of camaraderie built. And that's great. That those are very good goals to have, but that cannot be the focus of the mission trip. If that's what your focus is, go on a retreat. Um, but if you're going on a mission trip, uh, the focus needs to be on who you're serving. And so all of these team building and all that, can, they're really great secondary goals. If that's just something that happens, that's wonderful, but you cannot go in with that being your focus. Um, so keeping that in mind, make sure that the trip is fit to the skill set of the team. I think we've all heard horror stories um, about students go down to build a house and no one gives them any training or you know, any type of leadership. And so you'll see that while the students are off spending their free day at the beach or wherever, the locals have actually torn down what the students have done and redone it 
Right. Um, you know, just terrible things like that where you're like, oh my gosh, not only are they not doing any work or effective work, they've just made more work for the people they're trying to help in the first place. Um, there are a million bajillion stories like that. Um, so make sure that, it, I mean, students have a lot of energy and they're very enthusiastic and that's great if you can harness that, but make sure you're not harming. Um, and finally, consider the cost. If it costs $3,000 per student to send them to an exotic location halfway across the world, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but is that an effective use of, of your cost, considering that your students are probably unskilled laborers that, um, that, I mean, can they do that work closer to home? Can they do that somewhere where, um, where there is, you know, not going to be so much travel costs, something like that. Um, again, that money is not yours, it's God. And again, this is not an automatic, none of it's an automatic no. It's just things to consider. Rebecca? Yeah. Um, I was able, Mike and I went out for, for lunch one day with Charles and Darlene Colston, who are with Made in the Streets mm -hmm. in Nairobi, Kenya. And I asked them this very question. When we send our students over to work at, with Made in the Streets, we're spending however many thousands of dollars per child to send them. Would, would you rather us send you that money? Mm -hmm. And they said, absolutely not. You cannot imagine the long-term results that we get from these students coming. And of course, we do have a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. With, and that's the difference. Yeah. But I was so happy to hear that. They, they just said, you don't know what this will mean for us in the future with, with our work when these students have seen with their own eyes what it's like here in Nairobi, what they will do in the future to help us to start other missions in, like this. And so that helped me a lot because sometimes I think, wow, is this a waste of money? Mm -hmm. But they really helped clear that up. So I know if we, if people, if a church does have a long-term relationship with missionaries, it, it can really help us make a decision about whether that money is being well spent or not. Yes, thank you. That was a point I meant to, not just the, the material financial cost is, what's the cost of them not going? You know, what's the cost of, you know, sending a paycheck instead of sending people? Because there are, um, uh, costs besides, you know, the uh, cost of morale, the cost of down the road future fundraising, you know, the cost of not creating new relationships. So thank you. And um, a point that we'll get to later, which I really liked, is that you, one, were asking those questions, which could have been potentially incredibly awkward, but two, that uh, you have the relationships with the people in the ministries to be able to ask those questions and do like follow-up investigation into the organizations, which is what we're gonna talk about in just a second. Uh, a big question mark is, well, when do I support secular organizations? If, the, if we're saying that poverty alleviation is not going to happen without there being a relationship with Christ, do I ever support secular organizations? And the answer is yes, sometimes. Uh, 
first, if an organization is doing relief work, um, for example, the Red Cross, things like that, um, because relief work is about stuff, not relationships, you're not going the, there's, it's probably fine to support a secular organization in that sense. Um, secondly, if there's no alternative Christian organizations. Uh, if you are really passionate about um, a certain area of poverty alleviation and there aren't Christian organizations in there, yes, go ahead and support that organization. Um, an example of that is Doctors Without Borders. Um, Doctors Without Borders prides themselves on going to the places where no one else is going and um, high-risk situations that are just at the, the edge of the frontier. So when it came to the Ebola virus, Doctors Without Borders were the first ones being like, we're going right in there and if we all get Ebola, we don't care. That's not entirely true, but um, they were, they're very, they're the cowboys of the medical relief uh, field, I would say. Um, Easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're in the wild west of uh, medical relief. Um, an important thing to note about Christian organizations, um, every organization that claims to be religious, they aren't necessarily, they, are, they aren't necessarily religious. I mean, just kind of think about um, like religious colleges, you know, they can say they are, but I mean, you have to look at their practices to find out if they really are. Same goes for relief or, or uh, excuse me, uh, poverty alleviation organizations. Just because they say they are, you really have to look at their actions to figure it out. Um, and an example of that is Habitat for Humanity. It varies a lot from region to region. Um, some very much are, and some are pretty much just religious and um, in word, not in action. Uh, any questions or comments up to this point? I go a lot faster than Dad, cover a lot of ground. <laughs> okay, so there are sort of traps that sometimes you can fall into when you're looking at organizations. Um, the first sort of thought that we really want you to avoid is that, well, this is a good cause, so I'm going to support it. Um, you should obviously um, only support causes that you're passionate about, but just because it's a good cause doesn't necessarily mean that they're an effective organization. And in fact, they may actually be hurting the cause unintentionally. We've talked about how the biggest sort of issue is trying to fix recovery and development issues with relief, uh, with relief tactics. Um, another way of saying that is trying to fix relationship issues with stuff. Um, so you really have to look at the organization itself. Don't just go off of the cause. Um, I would say that 99% of organizations have really good causes, but um, I mean, it's a question of if they're effectively alleviating that. And secondly, um, if it's a worthy cause and a worthy organization, I should support it. Uh, not true. Um, you're going to have to pick and choose what to support, even among worthy organizations. And again, there's not enough hours in the day and there's not enough dollars in your pocketbook to support it all. Um, if you do that, you're going to spread yourself too thin. So just a recap of that previous slide, 
look at where God is leading you, look at what your passions are, look at what your skill set is, and then think about who you have relationships with. And that should guide you as to what you're supporting, where you're spending your time and your money. This is a recap from last week, uh, just warning signs, things that are, should be red flags to you if you're looking into an organization and wondering if you should support it. If their mission cannot be distilled into one sentence, that's kind of scary. Um, that means that they can't easily tell you what they do. And related, on a related note, it might be because they have too many fingers and too many pies. They might be trying to do too much. And um, as we talked about last week, you should be, chances are, um, nine times out of 10, organizations should do one thing really, really, really well. Um, sometimes we looked, we talked about Tom's shoes as they started out as we're going to give shoes to um, people that need it. Well, now they do shoes, they do water, they do health, they do bullying, they do, I mean, they do like everything under the sun and they have, you know, 60 different partners around the world that they do these things with. Um, they can't distill what they do into one sentence easily because they are doing five different things and multiple things within those five things and it's just a warning sign. And finally, um, we talked about this last week, what favoritism is, what paternalism is, and what mission drift is. Um, favoritism, pretty self-explanatory if they're picking and choosing within the uh, population that they are serving. Um, obviously, you can't serve everyone, so, but once you've defined who it is that you're serving, you can't differentiate within that group. Um, Secondly, paternalism. That is, I am doing this for you. I am not doing this with you. The key is doing it with, not for. And finally, mission drift. Um, did they start off doing one thing and end up doing another? And that's what Tom Shoes did. So this is where we're gonna spend the bulk of the class, and by the bulk of the class, the next 15 minutes. Um, we introduced this slide that last week. We're going to briefly go over that and then look at two examples of um, organizations to sort of see how you would go about investigating an organization. So first, you need to look at their mission statement. What is the problem that they're trying to solve? Um, you would be surprised how many organizations do not have their mission statement clearly stated on their website, on a pamphlet, on uh, informational materials. Uh, secondly, how are they trying to solve it? And another way of saying that, are they doing relief recovery or development work? Thirdly, what are they actually doing? This one, it's not going to, these last three, these first two should be very easy for you to find. These last three are probably going to involve talking to people within the organization, um, doing some, some more intensive investigation work which is not fun, it's just a heck of a lot easier to write a check, but um, that's, when we, that's when sort of the, you have to remind yourself that I'm a steward of God's resources and it's not easy, but this is what I'm called to do in order to use God's resources effectively. 
And this is actually when you're actually thinking about making a real commitment to an organization or writing a check with a few zeros attached to it. Right? I mean, that, I, I would I would think that the the first two, if you're talking 10, 25, 50 bucks, the first two are going to just about get you where you need to be. But if you're looking at, but the rest of it is when you're looking at a long term. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it also it, it has to do with you know personal situation. If someone asked me to spend fifty dollars, I am a poor postgraduate. I would be doing all the research. Yeah, and it's not necessarily so much what the size is, but but yeah. if you're thinking about I'm going to write a big check or I'm going to yeah. spend real time here. Yeah, then that's I mean, when you want to get into the other stuff. Yeah, it's going to take time to do this. I mean, is an effective use of your time? If you spend three days researching an organization to write a $20 check, is that an effective use of your time? You know, um, But hopefully, if you know someone, for example, um, made in the streets, you have go out to lunch with them, you can get this in a 10-minute conversation. Um, and this dovetails nicely into who do you have relationships with, you know? So hopefully when you put all these pieces together, this isn't long drawn out, I'm emailing 20 people I don't know to try and find this. Well, because um, you really can't answer the last two effectively unless you're asking people outside of the organization. Right. Um, hopefully people within the organization are going to be honest with you. Right. The but organization, if they're effective, needs to know are the effective change, which gets back right. to that effect. Do, do they go back and actually look at results? You know, are they doing the same thing now that they did 30 years ago? You know, you know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same yeah. thing over and over and expecting different results. The same thing works in poverty alleviation. You know, if you've got a different population, you'll probably have to change what you did. Uh, and if you have the same population 30 years after doing poverty alleviation, you're not alleviating very much poverty. I mean, it's a, a lot of this is sort of common sense. I mean, if, yeah. So this is unspoken. We hope you all have common sense. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, very good. It's important to think about these things. Um, so just so it's on the recording for future people. <laughs> the final three uh, questions are, what are they actually doing, slash, has there been mission drift? Are they affecting change, and do they make much disciples? And those are the three questions you're gonna have to really do some more intensive research. With air quotes, research might just be having a 10-minute conversation with someone. Um, but these first two, what's the problem they're trying to solve, and how are they trying to solve it, should be very clear on their website. And finally, um, if any of those answers are unclear, that's probably a warning sign that this is not going to be an effective use of your time or your money. So this is uh, the uncomfortable slide. Uh, what to do if you've done that research on that last slide and you've decided, I can't support this organization. I think this organization is hurting. hurting. It's not helping. Um, First, and I think this is pretty black and white, you have a duty not to support it. Um, you are a steward of the time and money of which God has blessed you, and you have a duty to use those blessings effectively and efficiently. The sort of gray area it comes with, oh, well, do I have a duty to tell them? Do I have a duty, you know, if I receive a friend 
raising letter in the mail? Do I just not answer it? Or do I have to, should I say, hey, I'm not supporting you because um, these are the changes that I think should be made before I would support you. These are the reasons I'm not supporting you. Um, so do you have an affirmative duty, which is kind of a legal word I just realized. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and again, this is one of those things where there's not like, it's not clear. Use common sense in addition to that. Speak with love, look at the specifics of each situation and pray. Um, if you have a relationship with that person, probably, I mean, you can tell every organization in the world that you're not gonna support them and why, but if no change is gonna be made and they're not, it's gonna fall on deaf ears, then it's a waste of time probably, so. Just things to consider. So here's our first of two examples of um, looking at an organization and trying to figure out if you should support them or not. Um, spoiler alert, this is obviously something that my family has decided to support. <laughs> this is what my dad is gonna be talking about next week. Um, but I am much less versed in what this organization does than my father who and my both my parents who go every year I've never been um, I know people in the organization but I have never actively participated in it um, besides house sitting my parents dogs when they go um, so this information I just gleaned from the website uh, what is their mission statement you've been asked to support Chikande Health let's try and figure out if this is an organization worth supporting uh, their mission statement is to glorify God and his son Jesus by promoting spiritual and physical health. Literally copied and pasted that from their website. So now the question is, well, how do they do that? And these five bullet points also copied and pasted. Um, this will help you figure out, do they do relief, recovery, or development work? Um, because we're short on time, I'm not going to read all those, but um, the answer is uh, a little bit of everything, mostly recovery and development. Uh, now these final three questions. What are they actually doing? Are they affecting change? And are they making disciples? Um, you can get a little bit of that from the website. They have great pictures of them doing surgeries and you know, cute nursing students hugging children and things like that. Um, but in order to get those answers, I would have to talk to someone within the organization probably my father, that's who I have a relationship with. I trust that he would give me um, honest answers. Um, so he'll be talking about those three next week. Short version is there are clear answers to all three of these. Um, and so at the end of the day, Chikande would be an organization worth supporting. Again, I would have to look at what my time and money you know, it's their limited resources. Is that something I'm being called to support? Is that where my passion lies? Um, but there are no red flags in the organization itself that would prevent me from supporting that. And secondly, the contributor. And dad is going to take over from here. Um, but um, again, spoiler alert, this one is not, um, a clear yes as we think Chikande is. So, five minutes, Dad. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> five minutes to do the contributor. All right, here we go. Yeah, yeah this, this will be easy. 
Alright, uh, drop the microphone here. I wanted to pick the contributor because I want to do it for my own information. Uh, I hadn't really looked it up. I drive by the guys every day uh, at three different intersections who are doing the contributor. And so the question I had in my mind was, let's take the principles we learned and let's apply them. Uh, just to give you a, uh, an idea where we're going, uh, I found this on their website. Guess who's one of their sponsors? Otter Creek. Uh, so I may step on toes. Uh, that's all right, I do that for a living. Uh, so I, I went, I said, well, let's, let's look this up. Uh, what problem are they trying to solve? Do they have a mission statement? Uh, I challenge you to go on their site and tell me what their mission statement is. Uh, I'm a very cut and dried organizational kind of person when I put things together. Uh, obviously in medicine there's not a lot of uh, room for flexibility. It either works or it doesn't. There's not like, I think I can make this work. You know, if you're going into surgery, you don't want the surgeon to say, I think I'm going to try something new today. I want the anesthesiologist to say, I know I can do yeah. Yes. Right, and, right. That, that's definitely and more importantly, I know I can wake you up when we're done. Right. I can always get you to sleep, the waking up part. I tell people, I put you to sleep for free, I charge you to wake up. Uh, but that, you know, so it's a I work in a very black and white world. Uh, and so when I work with people, I like very overt things. I don't like to have to work really hard at figuring out what's your mission. Because what I've learned is if the people involved can, can tell me their mission, boom, they're always thinking about that when they're making their decisions as an organization. If they cannot tell you their mission, then you tend to get a lot of mushiness, grayness, and when they start making decisions, start doing things. Yes? Uh, I don't, I can tell you a mission sentence for them in one word. I don't know that it would be what they would say, but it, it, it is the impression that I've gotten from some of the organizers of the contributor. And, and that would basically be that their mission is to change the city's perception of the homeless population. I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to edit as I go along. Um, by presenting them as people who want to work and as essentially entrepreneurs rather than victims and bums or people that you hand out to. I was gonna say, I was gonna say that's like you should give that to them. That's like five hundred percent better than what they have on their website. But, that, but that's that's a writing issue, not a. Well, or, 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 or it is it is as much a writing issue as it is a what you said is not politically correct. It, you can't call them thumbs. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. But you were you were you were trying you were trying to change Nashville's perception of the homeless from victims and recipients to entrepreneurs and contributors. Right. Which is, which is why the paper's called The Contributor. contributor. I mean, that's, that's the mission right there, is these are people who are contributing to the community, not people who are taking away from the community. 
But the, but, but, but the problem they're trying to solve is not so much homelessness in Nashville as it is the mentality of Nashvillians toward the homeless. And that's good to know. That, that'd be good to know. How I can tell you, as an outsider looking at their website, that's not what I came away with. That, again, that, that's a design issue, not right. necessarily a mission well, issue. Well, I would say that what you said, I, seeing the people there, I, I don't get, what did you just say? I'm, I'm losing it. Entrepreneurs, um, small business owners? or Entrepreneurs who are yeah, yeah. changing perceptions. It hasn't changed my perception. Oh, because it has, it has mine, because mine I've too, gotten to be, I, I've gotten to be acquaintances with some of the people, and, 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 and I have seen some of those 35% that I know now have a place to live that didn't before. And I respect those people because they go to get their papers, they pay for their papers, and then they go back out to sell them, rather than people that I see at our Kroger lot who are just begging. You know, they're yeah. there for months and months, not trying to sell anything or work, but are just begging. Yeah, and, and, and that's designed, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. to hijack you. No, yeah. but, go ahead. But that's, it's, it's, it's designed specifically to the mentality of, Nash, uh, of, of the Nashville population, which is a very marketing savvy city, in that Nashville as a population believes, if you know how to market this, you know what you're doing. If you don't know how to market this, you don't know what you're doing about your business. And so playing to that mentality makes this work, and it makes it work better in Nashville than any other city in the country where they've tried this. And, 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 and part, I, I still, after, but yes, the website, a, after, a, after hours of looking this up, I can't figure out what they're trying to solve. Yeah. Are, are they trying to create an income flow? Are they trying to, if you read their site, they're trying to solve homelessness, yeah. which is not what they're doing. Right. As, as I read it, it's not they're trying to solve homelessness, it's to create a different perception of homelessness. That's, which is a very different, and it's different than the entrepreneurial perspective. But, but, the, but, that's, but, but that's how they're trying to change the perception. Yeah, and so it's, that's a, uh, you know, and then you look, here's kind of what they say they're doing. What are they actually doing? Uh, you know, as we talked about, they, they create uh, micro enterprise, if you will. You have to buy your papers. You have to go uh, and sell them. If you don't sell them, you don't get money. Uh, are they affecting change? 35% uh, of their vendors, according to their website, have found housing. Uh, the cynic in me, statistics. Uh, in America, homelessness is a transient problem. If, if, if you look longitudinally, the vast majority of people at the beginning of the year who are homeless are not homeless at the end of the year, but there's a whole new cadre that become homeless. Uh, so I'm not sure that statistic is worth anything because- Yeah, you gotta have a lot more information right, on because, it. Right, because the vast majority of homeless people, that would, that would at least 35% of the ones who are homeless at the beginning of the year are not homeless at the end of the year. So I'm not sure that tells me anything. Do they make disciples? Uh, this one, I, I do have an issue with them because they flat out say in their FAQs that we do not teach them or tell them what to do with the money once they get it. And to me, that's, that gets back, they're trying very hard not to be uh, paternal, but they're failing in their thing is they need to be mentors. 
because there were a lot of the reason these people are homeless is they made some bad decisions in the past uh, with either substance abuse or money or violence or social injustice. There, I mean, there are, a whole, there are a whole host of reasons why they ended up on the street. There is a, in order to develop them so that they don't repeat this, you have to do development. Uh, they're, they're not a relief organization because this is not an acute crisis uh, control. Their own, by their own rules, they're not a development. They don't teach people. They don't mentor them. They, they, they create, well, at least according to their website and what I can find. Let, let, let me ask you this. Yes. Do they, and, and I haven't looked at the website, yeah. so um, do they make assistance or mentoring available for people that want to understand better what to do with their money? Because there's a difference between I, I, not telling them and making that information. As available. far as I can tell, no. Okay. Because they, they say we have one office, one room in the downtown Presbyterian office. Don't stop by here unless you're picking up your papers. <laughs> you can only stop by on Friday morning to make an appointment yeah. to become a vendor. You make your appointment when you pick your papers up, and they don't have, and because I looked and said, can you volunteer with them? The answer is no, you can't. If you're a, if you're me, I cannot go volunteer with a contributor because we don't have any room, and we don't have any needs for volunteers because we print the paper and the guys pick it up and they sell it. It's it's a vendor vendee relationship, if you will. Transactional. It's transactional. It's not. It's not relational. It's transactional. Right. So yeah, seventy-five cents. And there is, is it a dollar? Well, it's two. It's two dollars now. What they were finding was that when it was a dollar, people were averaging two dollars per paper. So people were like giving them a dollar, and then they were giving them a tip, or they were giving them a five. And, and so I think changed. at some point it's changed over the years, right? Trank's family, you know very well why it's changed, right? Yeah. I didn't know if you were going to speak up or not. <laughs> 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 yeah. the editor of the contributor for yes. five years. I think he's still on the board. I'm not positive about that. He's a, in a doctoral program, so there's not much time. But yes, they do hire some people to work for them. And they do have meetings and things, you know, and religious kind of things happening there. And I believe that the staff is very dedicated to these people and that they do mentor them. But that might not be on the website. See, and I, I, I bet it was your son that that I had lunch with that gave me a lot of my yes, perspective. I would Although I can tell you they have 400 vendors according to their website. And so it would require a significant amount of infrastructure to be mentoring 400 people through this. Do, do you think it falls uh, as a niche recovery activity for the people who are uh, finding themselves in need of signing on to be uh, an entrepreneur in this way to, to get into the transition from homelessness into, into some type of a more permanent dwelling type situation? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to jump on that because if, if their job is to create, to solve homelessness, they're going about the wrong way. If their job is to create an income stream for people to leverage themselves out of homelessness, then that's what they're doing. But the, that comes down to the whole thing of, of mission statement. What are they actually doing? If, if they say, I'm a, my job is to, is to eliminate homelessness, which we said that they may not actually be their job, they're not, they're not doing that. 
If their job is to create an income stream to allow people to leverage themselves out of homeliness, they are doing that. It and so, but seems like a clever connection between the two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like McDonald's isn't really a hamburger company. They're a real estate company that sells hamburgers to pay for their real estate. Yeah. Right. Or parking. Yeah. yeah. Right. Parking, same thing. Right. Yeah. right. So, I mean, it's so when, when you look at this, uh, and then, so you have to decide if they're, it gets back to what Rebecca was saying earlier, uh, if they're recovery development, as a church and as Christians, what we want to do is create disciples. So if, a, uh, if there is not a disciple-making portion to that mission, you have to significantly question whether or not we should be doing that. Because we have limited resources, we have limited time. Our job is to create disciples. That's job one of all, you know, go back to the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples. So we have to look at, is that something that's making disciples and should we uh, be spending our time and energy doing this? Now, I'm not saying it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not accomplishing what they set out to accomplish. The question is, should we, as Christians, should, is this something we should spend time and money with? Yes. Exactly. It, cha it changes who you're thinking of as the you're, disciples. Yeah, the, the group that you're serving, I guess, changes from the homeless yeah. people to the hardened heart people of Nashville. They're actually, I mean, in, in terms of what right. they're actually doing, they're actually using the homelessness, the, they're using the homeless and micro enterprise to change a problem with the Nashville population. All right, but, but, they, but if they do that, then that's not poverty. Well, that's not material poverty alleviation. Right. That that is spiritual poverty alleviation, yep. right. which, which it may. But it, but, it, but, it, but it changes. It changes what you're looking for. But, but if they're if they right. But if they're doing that, they're not doing a really good. <laughs> if they're doing that, they're not doing a really good job of communicating that. Right. Well, and, and I think I think that's really it. Which is back to marketing. Right. And and so I'm kind of on the fence on this one too. Right. And and so I would love to poll the 400 vendors that they say they have and ask them what they think the mission is when yeah. they go out and sell. Right. Because at that point of exchange, that is, in theory, where this mission would be evident, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm on the street corner. I'm trying to pick up the image of the homeless here in Nashville, Tennessee. I would bet that 300 of the 400 would say it's 10 bucks a day. Yeah. That's why I do it. I would yeah. go 400 out of 400, but that's... Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm, I'm trying yeah. to be nice. I mean, but yes. That's, that's, that, that's one of the problems with this particular organization yeah. is, is it's a very meta organization when you're yeah. dealing with changing right. perceptions. It's because so, if you tell the people whose perceptions you're trying to change yeah. that you're trying to change their perceptions, Right. Then, you, then you have completely wiped right. out any chance. But then it comes into, okay, if, if you're going to be a vendor with me and you're going to be partners with me in this right. organization, then this is how I expect you to transact your business. Right. 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 And, and I don't think that that's being done and to the point where it's not. Right? Yeah. We, we all know. Yeah. We all have seen it. But 
again, it's back to, okay, is the execution what you would want it to be, given that that's your mission? And maybe right. It isn't. Right. And, that, and, that's, and that's the thing is when you start, I'm going to spend time or money for stuff, and you got to say, what's their mission? I mean, for a church and as Christians, our ultimate goal is we got to make disciples. Yeah, like I said, relief is totally different than recovery development. You know, relief, I'm going with anybody to save lives because it, there's a crisis. If it's doing development, that development needs to lead to discipleship, or discipleship and development are hand in glove with each other. It's, it's really hard under, in a Christian perspective to do one without the other. You can't develop someone without discipling them. We're going to have to continue yes. this next week. That's right. We're getting really late. Great discussion. Yep. Read the uh, lead article of Tennessee 